I have a no riding pachyderm policy, but there we go. Hello and welcome to this episode of Tripology. I'm Alan and I'm here with the ever-enlightened Adam. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday, tripologists. Alan, do you know what day it is today, the day of recording? The day of recording is exactly one year since we started tripology. Is that right? That is exactly right. The first episode that we released is today, a year ago. Oh, mate, you know, I'm so relieved because for a second I thought that we'd let our one year anniversary go past without so much as a second thought or a celebration that's really lovely oh thanks for drawing it to our attention well i've been waiting for this day for 364 days (laughs) yeah you've really just started the podcast with the intention of crossing the one year finish line and then proceeding onwards into infinity yeah exactly right but how incredible is that It's been a year, mate. We've managed to do it. An episode every single week, regardless of where we are in the world, what we're going through, our other commitments. It is quite astounding. It's amazing, mate. Congratulations to you. I remember saying to you really early on, Adam, most podcasts don't make it past episode 10. If we can just get past episode 10, the world is our oyster. And look at us now. We're a year in. I know. We are a year in, but we're also not together. As we heard in the last episode, you left Canada, which we were all incredibly sad about. But now tell us where you are. Well, I recorded the last episode in Chitwan. I was doing all sorts of safari things. Now I'm in a nearby town called Lumbini, which is very, very significant to one of the world's best and biggest religions. It's Buddhism. But interestingly temporally there's something interesting going on it's actually been quite a lot of time has passed since the last time i spoke to you Mm -hmm. because although we like to do these episodes live sometimes traveling necessitates us creating a backlog going off on adventures so most people they travel to chitwan then they travel to lumbini or vice versa they're part of the same circuit and since i'm here in lumbini now Why not lump them both together in a beautiful mashed potato of tropology? And I'll talk (laughs) about them both because Chitwan, geographically, it's close to me. It's kind of close in my memory. Let's talk a little bit first about Chitwan and my experience there. And then after the med break, we'll talk. Let's put our spiritual hats on and talk a little bit about Lumbini because... My goodness, what an enlivening, enlightening experience I've had here. Wow. Yeah, that sounds great. So people typically do both, do they, if they're in Nepal? If they're going to do one, they'll often do the other. A lot of people that I've met traveling in Nepal haven't done either Chitwan nor Lumbini. Oh, right. Because it's a little bit out of the way. It's not on the hiking circuit. It ain't Kathmandu or Pokhara, the two main places people visit. I would consider them kind of two extracurricular travel places. People have a bit more time in Nepal. Okay, fair enough. And they offer different things, I assume. Very different things. In fact, they couldn't really be more different. It's just that they happen to be equidistant from each other on the way from Pokhara to Kathmandu or from Kathmandu to Pokhara. So people sort of hit them up as part of a journey. 
Okay, excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing all about it. Tell us what you liked. Yeah, well, Chit One, I'd heard good things about it. People had told me, you should go to Chit One. You like animals. There's lots of animals in Chit One. It can very much be regarded as the sort of animal zone of the proverbial crystal maze of Nepal. It's like <laughs> very much the place that people go to see animals. And I decided I'll go to Chit One, not through a tour company, but on a local sort of bus. So I, I was lucky that I had no plans or Chitwamobile. Yeah, exactly. I boarded the Chitwamobile and went to Chitwam. But it transpired, in fact, that perhaps on this occasion a tour would have been a, a good thing. I sat down on the bus and immediately was beckoned over to a seat by an Australian girl who was there. She went, oh, you can come and see next to me if you want. <laughs> there, there it is. Everyone's favourite Australian accent. Yeah. So I, I sat next to her. We got talking. We got on like a house on fire. We talked the old damn way to Chitwan. It's like a big old long journey from Kathmandu. <laughs> and then by the, t- by the time I got to Chitwan, mate, I was on my own. I ended up just texting her and being like, you know that tour that you booked on? She paid a lump of money to have an all-experiences-done sojourn around Chitwan. Oh, yeah. I just texted her and I said, can I just come on your tour tomorrow? I'll just pay. Like, I want to... That's wicked. And then that was just because it was easier or offered more than you could have achieved on your own? Or how... how- or did you want to see her again? Come on, give us the gossip. No, I went to Chitwan thinking I'll organise the tour by myself. I'll do all this stuff. I'll find someone who wants to take me around the jungle once I get to Chitwan. Mm-hmm. But then I arrived, me and her went our separate ways. And I thought, well, I might as well. It's going to ultimately be around the same cost if I just go on the tour that she's already organised. Right, cool. So why not just hit her up and be like, hey, you know, what's the prize? Can I just get involved with that? And then I have a, a pre-made friend on a tour. She's presumably done a little bit of research. Other than that, I'm just going to be sat alone in my own little homestay. So I thought better just to ask her. She said yes. And then the next morning, I just went over to her hotel and embarked on a tour with her, a guy from Belgium, a couple of girls from France. It was a right wow. party. And we all embarked together on first a canoe ride through the Chitwan River where you could see crocodiles and exotic birds. It was really very beautiful. Then a jungle walk through the high elephant grass. There was tiger scratches and marks on trees. There was a very knowledgeable guide telling us all about it. And then on a jeep safari through, again, the jungle, where (laughs) we came face to face with a lot of musk deer and a, a couple of rhinoceros. So I was doing some research last night and I watched a few YouTube videos about Chitwan. Okay. So that I was prepared for this conversation because I've not been to Chitwan. Yeah. And I don't know if this guy got incredibly lucky. You'll be able to tell me. But he was walking down the road in Chitwan, which is, uh, is it a town? Is it big enough to be called a city? I would describe it as a town. Definitely not a city. And there was a rhinoceros just walking down the road. Yeah. In the town. I've seen that as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's two different types of rhino in Chetwan. <laughs> Some of them stick to the jungle and they're very interesting and, you know, definitely don't approach them. But then there's one or two that just stroll through the town. I myself, on my second evening there, was just 
strolling about trying to get some dinner and there was a rhino that came into the local football field to graze on the mustard seeds that were growing nearby so i was i actually saw one of those domestic rhinos what? quite a sight to behold I, I don't doubt it that's yeah how do you react they're dangerous i assume surely you don't react very dangerous to react you just try and not react as much as you possibly can so in the youtube video this guy was videoing it from from behind and there was you know a group of people that had obviously been halted by the fact that it was in the road but it was walking down in one direction and there were tuk-tuks there were cars there were people on bicycles and they were all just kind of following the rhino um i, I guess that's the safest thing to do yeah i mean look there was not many people around where my rhino was eating the mustard seed and it was kind of odd contextually because Previously, I'd seen a rhino in the jungle and been really like excited to see this beast, and then to see him again, a different one, just in the in the town, it's really unusual. But what incredible creatures! Pachyderms, these tough, thick skin, armored sort of tanks. Yeah. Really incredible to see. I'll give you a um, a video and a photo for the Instagram Atropology Podcast on Instagram, so people can see said rhino for himself. But yeah, really a wonderful experience, Chitwan. Highly recommend it. You know me. I love animals, don't I? You do. If there's one thing I know about you, it's that you love animals. So what else did you see when you were in the jungle then? And, and is this jungle kind of similar in terms of flora and fauna to anything that you've experienced before? Not really. It's a bit different from the Amazon or the Belizean jungle, but it was <laughs> very, very interesting of its own right. I was kind of in the wrong season, Adam. The elephant grass was very, very high. Right. So in truth, didn't see as many animals as you might otherwise see. I really saw rhino musk deer a lot of different birds that it, it was interesting definitely but not the right season to see like a tiger you'd have to be walking for a much you have to do a much longer walking tour to see something like that okay well the tropology audience are probably then the next question is going to be do you know when the best season is what would a local from chitwan say the best season to to see a tiger is or you know more wildlife just go when that elephant grass is shorter it's always always going to be a long shot to see a tiger in Chitwan. Mm -hmm. But there are many like... I fancy my chances. Yeah, you'd be good at seeing a tiger, you clouded <laughs> leopard seeing son of a gun. But I think... <laughs> I'll be there for five minutes. Is that... Yeah. Is that a tiger? Exactly. <laughs> Next to that rhino. You get lost on a walking tour. <laughs> yeah, so if, if you want, if you're invested in seeing something like that, then go for a long time. Do your walking tour excursions and um, go when the elephant grass is at its shortest. But for me, it was just passing through and really interesting to see. I will say one thing I didn't like about Chitwan is a big part of the culture is elephant rides. You know, we've talked about that on our Patreon right. podcast a little bit, but elephant riding and that sort of thing, obviously very ethically provides a bit of a conundrum. Didn't like it, didn't have to participate in it, but um, that was there. You could see tourists riding elephants around Chitwan. Oh, I wondered whether it also might be a mode of transport. People don't just use them to get around, do they? I think it's mainly a touristy thing, mate. Yeah, that's a shame. And this is going to sound really strange, but I'm just going to say exactly what I just thought, is that when people go to Thailand, okay, I would say that Thailand is probably, if you if you put a gun to my head and said, pick one country that backpackers will go to first, or that is kind of seen in the backpacker space as this like backpacker hub, I would probably say Thailand. Mm. Usually lots of the backpackers who go to Thailand 
uh, a lot of them that you meet, it's their first time backpacking or they're quite young or whatever. So not that I can justify the elephant riding, but I could maybe see why it happens more than I would like it to. However, in Nepal, I would say maybe you, you see a different demographic of backpacker. And I don't know if that's true, but maybe slightly older, maybe being other places beforehand, maybe we'll also be sort of thinking about the ethics behind riding elephants. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's really true. Good point. I think that the caliber of backpacker in Nepal is higher than the caliber of backpacker that you might find readily in Thailand. But there's always going to be people who just fly in and they're tourists with money. I don't think it's the backpackers that are riding these elephants. I think it's the industry exists right. because of other travelers, vacationers. And I think it will always exist because of vacationers who justify elephant riding and things by being like, yeah, but I love elephants and I've always wanted to ride one. <laughs> I think it's just a sad yeah. truth of the nature. And obviously one thing we can do as podcasters is just spread a bit of knowledge. There ain't ever no reason to ride an elephant. And I think uh, that should be as standard. We should put that on our bio on our Spotify, shouldn't we? Yeah. Uh, you know, in the same breath though, if you had the chance to ride a rhino, I mean, pretty cool. <laughs> uh, yeah i have a no riding pachyderm policy but there we go it, it's interesting in it mate because chit one really i'd love to be able to describe in detail the beautiful animals i've seen you know i've been to the masai mara on safari and i was absolutely spellbound and blown away by it but i don't want it to, the fact that i didn't see a huge quantity of animals shouldn't take away from the majesty that i experienced whilst there it was amazing to be with those people in that canoe slowly floating down the river looking at crocs seeing the power behind the muscles of that rhinoceros it was really a great experience not distracted by the sparsity of the animals we saw and my whole experience of Chitwan was hung on the fact that on that bus ride, that Australian asked me to come and sit next to her. Right. That like relationship, that friendship became very important to me. Just for the time I was in Chitwan, we ended up going for big long walks in the evening, talking. It was a cool little travel friendship. And yeah, it just goes to show she was open enough to say, hey, come sit next to me on that bus. And I was open enough to say yes. And we just became friends. And the fact that we could explore it one together as a result of that was a really cool thing. Yeah, totally. I wish I was with you there, mate. It's uh, kind of reliving it through you telling the story, me trying to piece it together. Chitwan seems like this uh, sort of hub and yeah of course the wildlife as well it goes without saying I'd love to be around that kind of thing. I really loved it it was a cool experience a cool time nice to go back to the jungle with a positive mindset and and just live my life the way I'm doing now it felt like a very peaceful little moment to take a breath and taking a breath is what I want to do now Adam because I've got hell of a story to tell you after the meditation break. I always feel good after a little bit of meditation. And I tell you what, meditation is on my mind at the moment. Do you want to know why? I do want to know why. Right now, I'm talking to you. And fans of the podcast can go to youtube.com forward slash Atropology Podcast. They can look at me now. I'm in an entirely white room. It's 
almost bizarre, isn't it, to look at? Yeah, I've noticed you're wearing a Tropology t-shirt as well. It could use an iron, but we won't hold that against you. <laughs> I'm a backpacker, mate. All this stuff is just rolled up and thrust in a backpack. I've taken it out. I'm wearing a white Tropology shirt against a white background, and I'm in Lumbini. Have you ever heard of Lumbini? So I have heard of Lumbini, but only because of a meal that we went for in a local restaurant. I don't know if you remember this, but, uh, you know... Uh, me and you. Me and you. A couple of weeks before you left, we went for an Indian meal. Mm. Well, I mean, the family who own it are actually from Nepal. Yeah. And there was a picture on the wall, and you were having a chat with the owner, talking yeah. about the fact you're going to Nepal. And he said, oh, you should go to Lumbini, which is where I'm from. Yeah. The birthplace of, you know, I'm not going to take the story away from you, but that's the only reason why. And you said, oh, I'm probably going to go there. Absolutely, yeah. The birthplace of Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, the original OG Buddha. <laughs> Mate. I, because of that guy that you're talking about, had in my head, I definitely want to go to Lumbini when I'm in Nepal. I definitely want to go to Lumbini when I'm in Nepal. I definitely want to go there. But <laughs> upon arriving in Kathmandu, I asked people, have you been to Lumbini when you've been in Nepal? And the overwhelming response was either, no, I ain't gone Lumbini, or mm -hmm. I've been to Lumbini and I did not like it. Oh, I'm in shock. Don't go to Lumbini, I even got. Similar to that man who told you not to go to Dondet in the Thousand Islands in Laos. Yeah, refreshing. Many people told me, don't go to Lumbini. I don't like it. You'll be disappointed. Do go to Lumbini, but set your expectations and your bar very, very low. My goodness. Well, what are these people expecting to see when they get to Lumbini? I think people hear that it's the birthplace of Siddhartha Gautama and expect something. Right. And they go there. And I'll tell you a little bit what they're served up with because I came all the way to Lumbini. It's a long old bus ride for me. I actually didn't go via Chitwan. I went straight from Kathmandu. It was an overnight bus. Very, very long bus ride. There's no backpacking culture here. There's no hostels or anything like that. So it's private rooms only, which is convenient for making a podcast, but slightly less convenient budgetarily. <laughs> And the main sort of section of Lumbini is this huge complex right. in which there's the main temple housing the marker stone where the historical Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, the place that he was actually born. Historians have identified the exact spot where he was born. There's a temple built around it. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine that. Great. Cool. Then... Every country that has an interest in Buddhism has erected their own monastery and their own temple mm -hmm. in a complex that's a few kilometers long and a kilometer wide. Oh, wow. It's a large, large complex that you, you need a tuk-tuk or a motorbike to journey around it. And there's a Cambodian monastery, a Thai monastery, an Indian monastery, right, okay. a, a garden erected by the people of Germany. You know, there's all these different things. It has the feel of a, a sort of theme park of Buddhism. Right, okay. Well, and is also quite gimmicky and commercial? or I think that's what the travellers who were warning me against Lumbini felt. And I think that they felt like it was just this madcap, twisted tour of Buddhism. Hey, right, oh, look at our temple. It's all big and golden. And here's a picture of the Buddha. But 50 metres, there's another one and another one and another one until you're all Buddhist out and it's all gone crazy. Yeah. That is valid to an extent. 
you know, like I paid for a tuk-tuk to drive me all about these places and he was a bit pushy. He was like, you got five minutes, quick, go to the Cambodian monastery, meet me back out here. We've got two hours to go around the whole thing. I understand. I understand what they're saying, all these people. Yeah, you were on a time frame, were you? Yeah, I was on a, I was on a time frame like because, you know, you pay the tuk-tuk driver for two hours to take you around. I get it. I get what these people experience. However... My experience of Lumbini has been entirely positive. I've loved my time here very, very dearly. I think maybe it boils down to a couple of things. My expectations were low because people set them very low. Right, yeah. I wonder if that's helped you, if you've had an overall positive experience because you went in there thinking that it wasn't going to be great. That's potentially true. I also have a vested interest in Buddhism. I've never identified as a Buddhist, but Mm -hmm. it's been a sizable part of my life in some sense. I did that silent meditation retreat. I went to a temple while I was at university a few times. I meditate, you know, not frequently, but whenever I remember. And But even if you're not sort of actively a practicing Buddhist, Mm. I would say that your your ethics and principles that you live your life by are certainly if there's any religion it would be buddhism yeah i totally agree with that in a lot of ways yeah and and the iconography and the art and the feel of buddhism is something that's permeated my life and you know i've read the book siddhartha by herman hess and i've like read the life and times of buddha and this sort of thing so i'm interested in it for me Mm mm-hmm All the other monasteries were just nice to see. It was nice to see those other monasteries. But going to the Maya Devi monastery there, the temple, which had that marker stone, was such a profound experience because because I was able to imagine, like, Buddha, his life is so well documented as a historical figure, not just as a religious one. So we know that that's where that actual person was born. Yeah, right. In, like, 600 bc right so we're talking about thousands of years ago this person was born in this place and that just felt very real to me and really cool yeah and then i wonder how much of it is travel experience in context adam because i went there during the day and there was school trips there was people asking to take pictures with me because there's no tourism there apart from domestic tourism so it's all nepali and indian people there they're asking to take pictures with me i had to queue to see the marker stone i was rushed but still i had this profound experience then by happenstance i went for a walk in the evening out of my little hotel noticed that that maya devi temple was still open went back there at like 7 p.m at night yeah and there was absolutely no one but me and the monks i was able to walk through those grounds go back to the marker stone take a good 10 minutes looking at it feeling whatever spirituality i felt there i went and sat by a bodhi tree with a monk there chanting it was a completely different experience from going in the day and it made me think like travel is all about context, all about how you're prepared to experience these things and the time that you get to do that. It was so beautiful. Yeah, incredible. And again, kind of similar to what I was saying in you know the last episode where we mentioned Kyoto and about experiencing different temples at different times of day and that everyone kind of has a negative view of Kyoto because it's so busy. But if you go at 10 o'clock in the morning with the other 5,000 people who want to see the temple, that's what your experience is going to be. Yes. But if you wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning and you see the sunrise and you're on your own, 
that that's what your experience of that temple is going to be. So you will remember that fondly. I think it's really important that you are you can not choose your own adventure. I mean, that's a cliche, but yeah, having the correct frame of mind and just experiencing it for what it is in that moment that you're there is, yeah, really important takeaway. I'm very glad you had an amazing time. It's happenstance to a certain extent because, you know, I didn't go out of my hotel that evening with the intention of going back. Now there won't be many people. I just sort of stumbled across the experience, which is nice. Mm. I also just think knowledge, prior knowledge and understanding is such an important thing. Do you know much about the story of Siddhartha Gautama, of, of the Buddha? Almost nothing. I'd struggle to know less. Well, maybe maybe it's cool if I do a, a really abridged version, and I'm not going to pay much dividends to historical accuracy here, and I'm sure there's people that want to correct me and all that stuff, but my understanding is, essentially, there was a ruler, Sudahana, who was the ruler of a region, and, and he had a child... Right. And he was told by astrologers and monks that the child would either be a great ruler or a great spiritual leader. And that would depend on whether he experienced suffering, whether he was exposed to the suffering of the world. And his father desperately wanted him to be a great ruler, a great leader like him. And so he kept him within this sort of walled city and he kept him from suffering, kept him in a life of luxury, basically. Right. And at the age of 29, my exact age now, Buddha did this thing called the Great Renunciation where he left the city walls and went and and studied with these ascetic Hindus for six years. And it was after that that he achieved his enlightenment. I tell you this because today I was lucky enough to do something which I think no one else I've spoken to in Lumbini did, but I took a local bus out of Lumbini for a good 30 kilometers and I arrived at the historical archaeological site of that palace and I was able as a 29-year-old to explore the grounds of that central walled city yeah, yeah. and exit out through the very same historical gate that Siddhartha Gautama left at the age of 29. I walked out of that same gate at the same age. It was such a cool experience, man. And I don't think many people even know that that spot exists. No, I mean, yeah, to to also link that together and for it to make some sense to you is really interesting. Yeah, the, the name of this old city with the palace is Kapila Vastu. And it, yeah, it's only 30 kilometers out of Lumbini. And it was amazing just to, to know that he was 29, this historical figure when he left. And me being 29 now, I was able to completely contextualize exactly how long it was that he'd spent confined within those palace walls. Yeah, It was exactly the length of my lifetime so far. So it was just such a cool visceral thing i loved it man it was so good Uh, and the fact that that sparked kindness and you know was ultimately the birth of buddhism is yeah quite quite something i mean it's impossible for me to sort of comprehend the sort of magnitude that we're talking about here but um it's lovely that you you had that mindset going into it is it something that you would encourage more people to do is to go to the archaeological site what else is there apart from 
the the palace because it, ha- it obviously held more meaning to you as an individual than it would do to say me i mean i'm not 29 yeah yeah well i mean look there's a museum and stuff like that and the archaeological site itself is quite bare it isn't a tourist attraction at all i can't stress this enough right. there was maybe 10 15 other people on the site and all of them were nepali people there was no tourists <laughs> whatsoever and all of them were tuk-tuk drivers waiting for your business yeah exactly but even even one came up to me and said like we just don't get tourists here people don't care about this this place and he like wow. put me on his bike and showed me around a little bit not asking for money or anything you know he just wanted to tell me about the, the place yeah cool because i just don't think they get many people there not many people understand it. And I think what an amazing antidote and antithesis to that theme park of Buddhism that people felt like they were experiencing in Lumbini proper. Yeah. Because it just was the absolute opposite of that. Yeah, you're right. Maybe now you've put it on the map. We're broadcasting this over the airwaves. And all of a sudden there's going to be an influx. There's going to be infrastructure there. You're going to get back there and there's going to be sort of commercial kiosks selling little trinkets and things. There's going to be a rhino walking past. (laughs) Yeah. I can't believe that it's not on the map, right? Because everyone goes to Lumbini. It's the birthplace of Siddhartha Gautama. But right down the road is the place where he lived for the first 29 years of his life. And people just don't care about that. It's bizarre. It is, yeah. But I've really loved Lumbini, man. I've really loved coming here. I'm so glad that I didn't miss it because of what people said. Wow. Yeah. Have you also noticed uh, far less tourists or backpackers in Lumbini than there were in Chitwan, for example? Oh, yeah. It's completely different. It's completely com- not in the same realm. I've maybe seen a couple of other tourists eating a dal bat in a, <laughs> and on the street that my hotel's also on. But Which, as we learned on the last episode, is made from. <laughs> <laughs> what did we learn? Oh, Delpa. Oh, lentils. Yeah, 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 exactly. Adam's food item. Have you thought of a name for that yet? I was thinking over the last couple of days, I want it to be, um, I, I don't want to give it too much thought. Yeah. But I do want to come up with something that's, you know, got legs. So we can kind of make a, th- you know, it's going to be a good feature and we can do some, maybe some uh, social media promotion around it. And it can, I don't want it to become its own thing, but I but I do care about food a lot and eating a lot. And it is one of the reasons why I travel. So yeah. very rarely would I travel somewhere um, to a country or a region where I'm not interested in the food. Yeah. And honestly, Nepali food's been so amazing. I've loved it really a lot. So I really think come to Nepal, people. But if you do come to Nepal, make sure Lumbini and Kapilavastu are on the list. Honestly, if you have any interest at all in Buddhism and in spirituality, then I really highly recommend it, despite the theme park of Buddhism aspect that people seem to have taken aversion to. I think, man, it's been one of my favorite things about Nepal so far is actually just seeing these places. But I do think it requires some imagination. It requires to kind of put yourself in the footsteps of the Buddha and, and sort of think about who that person was and who they might have been. I enjoy that stuff. I think it's maybe just the kind of traveler I am. Yeah, I love that about you. And I'll try and employ that going forward. I also think that I'm guilty sometimes of wanting things to be something they're not. And yes, of course, this theme park complex of all these different monasteries maybe feels a little bit touristy, a bit contrived, a bit forced. 
but just take it for what it is. Yeah. You know, you're think about where you are in the grand scheme of things and what it means and its historical significance and how important those monasteries are to the people who um, practice Buddhism. It's I think that's a really important takeaway, mate. Yeah, and how proud they must be of their monasteries in that specific location. I think sometimes you've got to, if you feel like you've got the ick because you're in a bit of a touristy environment, just think about why it's touristy and try and separate yourself from that a little bit like sure i had to wait for five minutes taking photos with a bunch of school kids from some place in nepal that wanted to have a photo with the one western guy who was at the world peace pagoda in lumbini but that's a part and parcel of the thing didn't let it destroy my adventure there it was really um i had an amazing time in both chitwan and lumbini and yeah, proud to be able to say that I, I came here and, and enjoyed it. Mate, next week, I'm going to tell you all about my journey in the Himalayas. Wowzers. I'm strapping myself in for that one. I can't wait. I'm jealous. I'll be honest. I'm jealous. Yeah, it's a hell of an adventure. It's a hell of an adventure. It's going to be a grueling tale of snow, of hiking, of walking. I'm loving my time in Nepal. I've never been happier. And I'm so glad that I get to speak to you, Adam. I, for now, I think we've all learned a lot. We've seen some rhinos. We've sat. We've meditated under a Bodhi tree. Let's sit under the proverbial Bodhi tree of this podcast, close our eyes and just allow ourselves to drift off into a bright and wonderful tomorrow. Will you come with me? I will. I want to say again, Alan, happy birthday, mate. We're one years old. Here's to us. Yeah, what an achievement. Write to us. If you've been listening from day one, it's tropologypodcast at gmail.com. We're so glad to have you on board. And let that be the last thing I say as we close our eyes and drift off to the nirvana of next week. We'll see you there. Bye. Bye.